Hey guys, Colleen Wolf from NFL Network. And look, you may or may not know I'm from Philly. I'm ride or die Philadelphia, but especially when it comes to sports. So you guys need to check out Mike Small on the Killing Me Smalls podcast. This guy crushes it, and I can't wait to hear what he has to say next. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Killing Me Smalls podcast. I'm your host, Mike Small. This podcast is now, I'm proud to say, part of the Painted Lines Podcast Network. Go to paintedlines.com and dig into all kinds of great content, articles, podcasts, and make sure you subscribe to this podcast by going to Apple, Spotify, or wherever you like your podcast. Type in Killing Me Smalls, get us a rating, a review, and uh, I think you'll enjoy all kinds of podcasts. I'd love it if you would also give me a follow on Twitter. The handle is Killin, K-I-L-L-I-N without the G, Smalls with a Z, and the number two, Killin Me Smalls 2. And I'll probably follow you back and uh, argue with you about all kinds of fun things. Today's guest is a guy that I've followed for a couple of years. His name is Kane Pittman. He's from Australia. He covers the Milwaukee Bucks for several publications and does the Locked on Bucks podcast. Well, everybody's saying the Bucks and the Sixers are the class of the East, so why not take a way too early look at the matchup? Why is my voice a little groggy? Because Kane lives in Australia, and we recorded this thing really, really early Tuesday morning to accommodate Kane. He's a sharp guy, and I think you'll really enjoy the discussion. Before we bring Kane on, just want to give a quick thanks to our sponsor, Kobe Fryer and Matt Blatt-Kia. Get fryered up. I've known Kobe for over 35 years and know that if you need help in the car business, he is your guy. He can help you find a new Kia at one of their three locations in New Jersey. Also, make sure you check out the new Telluride, a great, great car, a beautiful SUV, and all the other great models. Plus, you want to see over 250 pre-owned cars and trucks at one of the three Matt Black Kia dealerships in Egg Harbor, Glassboro, or Tom's River, New Jersey. Any credit situation can be handled with ease. Give Kobe a call. It's This is a cell phone. That's how cool he is. He's going to give you a cell phone, and uh, you can call him anytime at 609-706-2101, or I can put you through uh, in touch with him through this podcast. So let's bring Kane onto the pod. So let's bring Kane onto the podcast. Kane, welcome to the Killing Me Smalls podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to uh, it's good to, to talk with you. And we were just talking before you started recording, but uh, might be might be a good time to start the start the rivalry. Absolutely, I think it may have even started uh, a year or so ago, maybe when Ben Simmons was <laughs> called a baby by Giannis in that in that game last year. I think that may have started it. Yeah, that's a fair call. I think that there's there's only a, a select number of teams at the top of the East, and it's funny the Bucks are playing Boston, and I, I think that the two teams they clearly they dislike the most are uh, Philadelphia and Boston, and I, I think that that is uh, I think that's a mutual feeling for, <laughs> from both, from both ends. I think so. So hey, so Kane, uh, you and I got to know each other on Twitter probably two years ago, and. Um, I want everybody to 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 know that there's a great article about you in the Ringer, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read the first first sentence of it. It says last year, which I guess is two years ago now, a 27 year year old Australian man had a crazy dream. He wanted to quit his job, leave his family, and move to Milwaukee. That's not the crazy part. 
The crazy part is he wanted to cover the Bucks. Why the Milwaukee Bucks of all the NBA teams out there? If you're coming from Australia, did you pick Milwaukee? <laughs> well, there was there was a couple of reasons for that. Um, I, I guess the first reason was, I mean, I was, and I mean, I still am, but you know, it, it does it does change a little bit when you're covering the team. It's, it's, as as you know, it's like, well, you know, you can't really be a fan as much as you used to be. But I was a Bucks fan. I really loved Ray Allen, so I've been watching the Bucks for a long, long time. Uh, you know, over 15 years now from Australia, I've been watching the Bucks and was lucky enough to, to get to Milwaukee uh, multiple times to, to watch the team. And then uh, this opportunity presented itself where I could I could move to Milwaukee and actually cover the team on a, on a, on a sort of full-time basis. So I took that chance. And also it made some sense at the time because I was writing for a bunch of different Australian media outlets and they did have Sally and also Tom Maker. So <laughs> at the time, they had two Australians as well, which which made it a little bit easier to to sell some of my work back home. But why not follow Ben Simmons? Well, it's true. <laughs> ben Simmons. It was. It's funny actually. It's funny. There was two. So there were two of us that did the same sort of thing. That said, right for, for the pickle roll, and maybe um, some of the people that listen to to your podcast or, or yourself. I don't know if you ever met Ben Malice. Uh, in, in your travels, but Ben Malice uh, was is an Australian as well, and he moved to Philadelphia for the season last year. And while I was in Milwaukee, he was he was uh, taking up the the Philadelphia uh, beat for the for the Sixers last year. So he took Philly, and uh, I headed to Milwaukee. All right, that seems fair. Okay, so let let's dive into this a little bit. So I, I think we you know listen. Last year, everybody thought it was going to be. Uh, the Celtics in a runaway in the East, and it turned out to be Raptors and the Bucks were one and two, followed by the Sixers. This year, the entire basketball world has Philadelphia and Milwaukee on a collision course. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I do, and it's, it's you know it's interesting watching the, how the season has sort of started out, and I I was kind of looking at the standings, and and admittedly, it's only sort of two or three games, but. Even though there's been a couple of funny results here or there, and the, the Bucks losing to Miami being one of those without Jimmy Butler, it's it's interesting that if you look at the the the, the eight uh, seeds, I guess in, in the East, it already seems like it's it's going a, a lot of of the way we probably think it will. But yeah, I just think that you know Boston's a little bit of a wild card, I think, because you know yes they lose Kyrie, but how much of a factor is simply him not being in the locker room? You know, does this Boston team come? Come together and and become a, a threat again. Uh, Toronto is obviously interesting, but you know at the end of the day, I, I think you lose Kawhi, and that team is a playoff team. But I think you know when push comes to shove, I mean they weren't beating the Sixers last year without Kawhi, and they weren't beating the Bucks either. So you know Kawhi's not on that team, and you're probably looking at a, a Bucks Sixers conference finals last year. So yeah, I, I just think that when it when it comes down to the star power on each team. And really, uh, I think from what we know from last year, I, I just I do think that that those two are the clear standouts in the East for us. Yeah, I'll tell you, I do think Toronto's a little bit better than I thought they were going to be. Uh, it looks like Siakam is taking taking another step forward, and uh, sure. Lowry is still pretty good. So you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not pronouncing them dead yet. But no, I agree with you. I do think it is it is the the Sixers and the Bucks are the class of the East for sure. Let me ask you a question. Uh, 
Do you think the Bucks are a better team than they were last year? That's tough. I'm not sure if because I, I don't. I, 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 I I'll really... be on, I'll be straight up with you. I don't. I think even though Brogdon missed a lot of games, he was your second best player in the playoffs. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, he didn't really come back until game five, or he didn't come back until game five of the second round. So, I mean, you can certainly say that the Bucks didn't really need to get out of second gear in those first two rounds anyway. And Brogdon certainly had some good moments in the playoffs. And, he had some decent moments in the in the playoffs the year before as well. I think that's the big thing with Brogdon. You know, they, in big games, he always was that calming influence. And, and throughout his, his first three years in the, in the league, uh, he's proven to be able to hit big shots. So that becomes really hard to replace because at times last year in the conference finals, the Bucks looked like they felt the pressure of, of the moment. And Brogdon was one of those guys that, you didn't feel that way about him. And there was only a couple of guys on the Bucks that I think really stood up. George Hill being another one who obviously the Bucks did bring back. But I can certainly see why there would be an argument that, that the Bucks aren't as good as last year. And I think that's going to be the storyline, right? It's like, how are the guys that you've brought in able to replace what Brogdon brought? Now, clearly through three games, I think you have to be pretty happy with, with Wes Matthews and the way he's playing. I mean, if he's getting you... Double digit scoring 14 points at the moment, 38% from three. You feel pretty good about that. Is West Matthews as good a player as Malcolm Brogdon right now? No. That's, I mean, he's not. So certainly maybe if you, if you look at the one for one swap, then yeah, potentially the Bucks have taken a, a step back, but I think they're hoping that the, the depth that they have in the roster is enough to, with multiple players, to sort of counter that, that loss. But yeah, I mean, Brogdon is seriously a good player. No, I, I Wes Matthews can score, uh, and and he's definitely seems to be having a resurgence at least three games in. But you know it's crazy. We're talking about this now, and uh, I was listening to NBA radio yesterday, and they're talking about MVPs three games into the season. I'm like, come on, guys. <laughs> but um, the do, are you are you concerned about the way Eric Bledsoe showed up in the playoffs last year? Yes. <laughs> and yeah. I think I think everyone should be. Every fan should be. I mean, that's 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 you. I mean, you can't help that at this point. Bledsoe has had two really really good regular seasons for in Milwaukee, and two really disappointing post seasons. I mean, and and that's that's the reality. So at this point, it's really hard to look at Eric Bledsoe as a, as a post season player and feel really confident about it. I mean, it's, you just can't do that because, you know, it's two years in a row that not, not only defensively, because we know that he's a great defender, first team all defense last year, but his offense just completely uh, evaporated in, in both years. And last year, it got to the point where, you know, while Giannis was, was struggling to shoot from the outside, Bledsoe almost became unplayable because he couldn't hit a shot. He couldn't hit a three. And this was a guy that through the season, I mean, he wasn't great, but he was shooting 32% from three, so it's certainly respectable. And, you know, the fact that that dropped to under 20%, I mean, it, it really became a huge issue for the Bucks. And that's not, you know, not before you even think about what uh, Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Fleet as well, the way that they played in the conference final. So, yeah, huge question mark over Eric Bledsoe. And obviously, they put a bit of money into him, uh, you know, uh, re-upping him during the regular season before they get a chance to get in the playoffs. So, no doubt there's a, there's a bit of a question mark on, on Bledsoe. 
So let's talk about how the two teams match up. Last year, the Sixers put Embiid on Giannis, and and I think he did reasonably well at times. You don't stop Giannis. You just sort of slow him down maybe a little bit. Uh, Simmons struggled guarding Giannis uh, in two of the games. One game I thought he did okay. Sixers now have Al Horford. Um, How do you think the teams would match up if they played right now? Well, I, I do like the addition of Al Horford because we have seen before, and, and again, you sort of touched on it. It's not, it's not like you're going to completely shut Giannis out of the game. It, it's kind of funny to me uh, that when when people talk about uh, Giannis in the playoffs last year, and they're like, well, Toronto is shutting down. It's like, well, if you look at the numbers, I mean, he still put up stats. I mean, the guys are star. That's what they do. But we have seen in the past that bigger body defenders if anyone's going to give Giannis trouble, it could be a bigger body defender. And we, we have seen that guys like uh, PJ Tucker and, and James Johnson from Miami in particular does a great job. Sad Young for the Pacers, one of the better better guys in the league at defending Giannis, simply because he can't just bully them like he, he does everyone else. And you look at a guy as big as Ben Simmons, I mean, there's not too many times that you see him defensively just get bullied, and, and that's what Giannis does to him because he is too strong for Simmons at this point. That's not to say that Simmons can't, you know, keep getting getting stronger in those situations. But, yeah, so the, for that reason, I do like the fact that they added Al Horford, and now they have really two guys that you feel okay about throwing them at Giannis because even in the playoffs last year when the Bucks played Boston, it looked like Al Horford started to the series pretty well, and obviously Boston win game one, but as the series went on, Giannis really took over, and he just wore Al Horford down. He was too physical for him, and ended up, you know, over the course of the five games, getting on top. But if you have the second guy there with Embiid, then I think that's a that's a tough matchup for Giannis, no doubt. Yeah, my guess is if they played tomorrow, Horford would be on Giannis, but they would constantly switch. I don't think... I don't think you can leave a guy like Horford on Giannis for a full game. I think it would wear him down. And I think that if you can throw multiple bodies at him, if you can get a few minutes of Simmons, a few minutes of Embiid, and a few more minutes of of Horford, that might be the way to go. And I think I think if I were the Sixers going up against the Bucks right now, I think the plan would be, you know, with, with this the way the Sixers defense is set up, I think the plan would be do your best against Giannis and uh try to you know throw the multiple bodies at him and hope that you you're able to stop everybody else and i think that that may that may be easier said than done How, what do you think the best way to guard the bucks would be yeah i mean you sort of touched on it i mean really you need to get, you need to get the ball out of Giannis's hands now that as you sort of said that's easier said than done and the problem now is that yeah, and I know yeah, Brooklyn was obviously shot over forty percent from from three last year, but now you do add West Matthews, a really good catch and shoot guy. You add Kyle Korver, who you know I, I think a number of teams, probably including Philadelphia, were really interested in getting him on board. You have uh, a bunch of other guys that, that come off the bench and just shoot the three. Really, at all times, Giannis has four shooters around him, so. It seems easy to say, yeah, just throw multiple bodies at Giannis and you'll be able to, you'll be able to counter his impact and make the other guys beat you. But the problem with that is that Giannis has got so good at passing, not only just out of the doubles, but just in general as a passer, he's improved incredibly over the last couple of seasons to the point where, you know, I'm sort of expecting that he's going to average 7.5 to 8 assists this year. Last year, he had a career high, an average 5.9. 
the way the Bucks are set up and the way they're shooting these threes and how many threes they're getting up, it becomes a dangerous game. And you can certainly hope that the Bucks miss threes, and we saw that in the conference finals, and that's ultimately why they couldn't win. But if you get on the Bucks on the night where they're hitting open threes, it's like, okay, well, I, you know, I, I don't really know how we, we slow down Giannis and force the other guys to fizz because they can all shoot. So it's difficult, but I do, I would agree. I mean, you've got you to put pressure on Giannis with, as a ball hammer. I mean, we have seen that he can still be turnover prone, had eight turnovers against Miami the other night and looked pretty out of sorts. He looked like he was rushed. He looked like he was trying to force things. I think that's, that's the case with Giannis. You've got to make him feel pressure. You've got to sort of convince him that he has to force the issue. And we've seen that. He can get frustrated. And if you get Giannis frustrated, it typically works well for the opposition. Okay, so I think, I'm going to come right out and say this. I think the Sixers basically built their team to compete against Milwaukee. I think they brought in Horford to, to you know, for a variety of reasons, but mainly to, to guard Giannis. And you bring in Josh Richardson, and now between Richardson and Simmons, you've got two of the best perimeter defense defenders in the league and um you know you know with Embiid there as well to be able to uh you know he's a dominant presence in itself I think they're set up pretty well to play Milwaukee what are your concerns about playing against the Sixers and what where are you confident as a Milwaukee uh as as covering Milwaukee yeah, it's 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 interesting because I I feel really good about the the Bucks defending Philadelphia, but then I, if I have a question mark, it's the Bucks scoring against Philadelphia. <laughs> so I, I think both teams have an advantage defensively, but it's it's a matter of are, are the Bucks going to be able to run the offense that they want to run and be able to shoot those threes and free up Giannis with the with the spacing on the floor? I think that's the question that that I have. And then is Giannis able to be as effective as he wants to be in the paint when you have two big bodies there? So that's definitely what I want to see. I, I want to see how Giannis responds to... I mean, we've seen him, like you said, he's, he's had some good games against Philadelphia. Obviously, that's a 50-point game last year with Justin Bead there. But now you throw in Horford, obviously, that's a different kettle of fish with both of them together. And, and we spoke... Uh, a little bit about Horford coming in. That may have been as a move for Giannis. That wouldn't surprise me at all. But it's also interesting the effect that had with the Celtics because I know, again, I mean, the Celtics are a team that have, you know, obviously had some pretty good games against Philly. So, yeah, I think that the Bucks defense is set up very well to counter the, the Sixers. And, and the main reason for that is Ben Simmons. I mean, he has really struggled against the Bucks. And a big part of that is that the Bucks defense protects the paint as well as anyone in the league. And so far this year, we're seeing a repeat of last year. Uh, the percentages are actually down. They're only giving up 58% in the restricted area. And Benson has struggled against the Bucs. Like, there's, no, there's no other way to hide that. He's shooting. Uh, his percentage is, is well under 50. Last year against the Bucs, only 44% from the field, which for, which for uh, Ben Simmons is obviously a very, very low number. 13 for 28 he was. So he's really struggling to score. And and that's that's why if Simmons can't find a way to score in other areas outside of the the paint, then I'm not sure how he's gonna I'm not sure how he's going to, going to, going to go against the Bucks because with Brook Lopez down there and and Giannis and, and the other paint uh, protectors of the Bucks, it makes life really difficult for him. So I would assume that Brook Lopez would guard Embiid, and Giannis would be on Simmons. Would that be what you would think? Um, 
it's interesting because I, I don't think that the Bucks would really want to put Giannis on Simmons because they like to use Giannis as that sort of freelancing big that that uh, often provides help from the weak side. That's where he gets a lot of his blocks. It's not necessarily one on one play. And with Simmons in the way that the Bucks do drop back in, in pick and roll coverage and really try and uh, take guys that they want into shooting. I'm not sure that you bother putting Giannis on Simmons because it's like, well, okay, if you're going to come into the paint, then we'll meet you in the paint. But if not, we don't mind if you have the ball on the perimeter. And, you know, that's why I think it's it's a tough matchup for Simmons. And we'll, and we'll see, I mean, as the season goes on, whether he has really added anything to his bow offensively. But as it currently stands, uh, the results tell you that, that he doesn't really like playing against the walk. John Bead is different. I will say that guy. <laughs> Could score on anyone. I, I'm, you know, he's a tough, he's a tough one to stop. But I think at the moment, Simmons is a little easier to defend this Bucks team. This is Ian Rappaport from NFL Network. You're killing me, Smalls. Stay tuned for more from Mike Small. Yeah, I think that was the case last year, and, and you know, Simmons evidently has been working on his outside game. He just hasn't demonstrated it yet this year. Three games in, so. But it is interesting. I think the Sixers are a different team in that last year. Uh, you know, I, I think that if if and 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 the previous year for all that for that matter, you know, you're able to kind of draw that line for Simmons if you could keep him out of the paint and find a way to you know to not let him drive and stop him at the perimeter, kind of like the Celtics built that wall against him in the playoffs two years ago, and it looked like Budenholzer took a took a page out of that playbook when they played last year. Um, but there, I think the Sixers have more weapons now that could hurt you a little bit. I think the way that Josh Richardson can penetrate, um, I also think that Al Horford's presence is going to free things up for Embiid a little bit more, which would make Giannis have to help out there, which could free Simmons up a little bit. I think, I think from a Sixer perspective, I'm not worried about Chris Middleton. I'm not worried about Bledsoe, and I'm not worried about Wes Matthews unless he's you know drilling shots. But I'm talking about a playoff game. And I think that from a playoff perspective, there's, you know, as you know, it's different than the regular season. I'm not playoff worried about George Hill or Wes Matthews or, or Eric Bledsoe. Am I crazy? Uh, a little bit, I think. Uh, I mean, you know, it's easy to say this, but, but up until <laughs> the last couple of games, the Bucks looked like they were heading for the NBA finals and potentially a championship. So, Look, there's, there's clearly some question marks on the way that that series played out. Uh, I think for good reason, people would question whether Milwaukee are a team that's built for the playoffs. And, and really, it doesn't really matter what Milwaukee do in the regular season this year. Like they can win 60 games again; it, it doesn't matter. Like until they do it in the playoffs, people aren't going to believe in them because they're going to only remember what they saw in those last four games. So, look, I, I do think that the, that the Bucks system is is built to play modern basketball. I think that they've got the, the exact right guys around uh, Giannis to win and to put up enough points to win. Uh, sometimes it's as simple as making shots and they didn't make shots last year. Now, is that because they had just a bad couple of nights and they were unlucky? Or is it because those guys aren't built to play in the playoffs? I mean, we're not going to be able to answer that until we get there. But uh, I will say that when you look at that series, and even though they lost four games in a row, you think about game three, uh, it goes to double overtime there. Even game six back in Toronto, I mean, that's a really close game. Uh, like that series was ultimately decided, uh, point differential by only, only six points, uh, I think it was at the top of my head. So it was, 
you know, sometimes, I mean, you, you, you're going to, the ga- a game is going to be decided by a bucket or two. And unfortunately for the Bucks, they didn't, they didn't get the buckets they needed. And now all of a sudden the narrative changes and they've got a lot of pressure on them. So I, while I do think that it would be silly to completely uh, disregard this Bucks team, I, I do understand that that's the way it goes and they need to prove it. Oh, I wasn't disregarding the Bucks at all. I'm disregarding a couple of players in the playoffs. So, no, I, I, I think the Bucks are phenomenal, and I think Giannis is the best player in the NBA right now. But I do think that, you know, when I think the playoff game is a lot different than the regular season game, as you well know. Um, I think that, you know, the way that, that Bledsoe and uh, Bledsoe showed up last year, I think George Hill is – I think George Hill played above who he is last year. Um, Wes Matthews, we'll see. Uh, he was a much better player three years ago. Is it because he was on bad teams or is, or has he found himself very well good the way that Brooke Lopez has? Um, it's going to be interesting. I'm just giving you the perspective that I think that Milwaukee in the in the regular season is going to be phenomenal. In the playoffs, those would be the, the things that would concern me. Yeah, and that does make some sense to me. I mean, the, the, the big question mark for mine is Bledsoe, and I 100% agree with you. Um, I'm not as concerned about the other guys. I mean, Chris Milton, through the course of his career, played 34 playoff games now, averaging 18 points, five boards, four assists on 45% shooting from three. So, I mean, he's traditionally been a really, really good playoff performer for the Bucks, and a guy that, in big moments, generally stands up. You know, unfortunately... In the playoffs last year, particularly the conference finals, he had a really tough matchup. He was defending Kawhi. We know how ridiculous Kawhi was uh, throughout the throughout the playoffs, and I really felt that that matchup and, and the amount of work he was doing defensively hurt him on the on the other end. I mean, he looked exhausted at times, but yeah, he's been a great player performer. But no question is if. Bledsoe shows up the way he has the last two years. It's going to be very difficult for the Bucks to go get past Philadelphia and get to the finals. I mean, they need that guy to be regular season Bledsoe, and, and it's a concern. I'll say that it's a big concern. Yeah, no doubt. So, how do you see it going the other way? What what would be your concerns matching up against Philly? Well, my my main concern is that. Uh, yeah, I think it is. I think it is the big guys. I mean, I, I think it's the duo that we spoke a lot about. I, I think that it is Embiid and Horford. Horford's always been someone that has given the Bucks real trouble defensively because the way that the Bucks do play, uh, they they do like to protect the paint and and make guys shoot mid range jumpers. But Al Horford's a guy that, and there's not. I mean, I mean, everyone's shooting threes right now, but Horford is a little bit unique. And there was multiple times that. He was with the Celtics where he just completely carved the Bucks up, whether it was uh, passing the ball, whether it was uh, popping and shooting those threes. He's been a guy that, to be honest, I thought coming into the, the series last year against Boston that uh, as I was watching that series unfold, I really thought that the Celtics could have got back in the series if it wasn't for Kyrie shooting them out of it. And they needed to run their offense through Al Horford. So it'll be interesting to see whether the Sixers use him as much as they should because he is a guy... But as I said, he's got a unique uh, skill set, clearly a fantastic passer. He can also shoot from the outside. I mean, I know he hasn't shot too well to start the season here, but if you have a big guy that can shoot threes, and I and look, I probably have seen more from Al Horford than I have been shooting threes, so I'd be more worried about Horford 
and, and the perimeter than, than Embiid. I'm happy as Embiid's firing away for three. We saw him do that a lot last year. I think he, I think he was four for 13 from three in a, in a game against the Bucks. I do believe that is because the Bucks wore off the, the paint so well and it was difficult for him to score and he was settling for those three. So that'd be fun to watch. But yeah, I mean, Al Horford for mine, uh, you know, defensively, the Bucks have to find a way, uh, to limit his, uh, impact on the game. And if the Sixers and Brett Brown are willing to run a lot of stuff through him, and we just say because when you've got a guy like Ben Simmons, it's hard to get the ball out of his hands because he's so dynamic when he has it. But yeah, I'll hope the interesting one. I think he changes things for uh, the Sixers and, and the Bucks matchup for sure. I think if you saw last night's game against Atlanta, where the Sixers were tied with about six seconds left, Brett Brown ran a high low with Orf- Horford at the top of the key and got it down to Embiid. Embiid got fouled, hit two free throws to win the game. I think you're going to see a lot more of that. And uh, I think you're right. I think I think they will run crucial plays through Horford, but with the key getting the ball to Embiid, and I think Horford is the trigger. Um, you know, until Simmons can shoot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I, I haven't watched a lot of the Sixers. I watched the game against the, the Celtics, which was uh, a bit of a mess all, all around, to be honest. But, that was an ugly one. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. Yeah, it was it was rough, but but that's what that's what I'm interested. In. I'm interested to see how they how they use Horford, and it's going to take some time. Uh, but I, I think the interesting thing is that, that we're we're not going to see each other for a little while here. So uh, you know, by the time that comes around, uh, you might you might have a fair indication of of, of what the Sixers are doing, and and then you know by that point they should be starting to to really figure things out, which I think will be uh, I think it'll be exciting for for Sixers fans. I think. You know, it's funny you brought up that the Bucks are really the perfect team to play new age basketball with Giannis and surrounding them by sh- with shooters. Sixers are the uh, are the Detroit Piston bad boys of the '90s right now, and, and they're winning all the games <laughs> ugly. and And it's going to be interesting to watch. Kane can't thank you enough for being on the podcast. And uh, I know it's it's really late in Australia and really really early in New Jersey, but I appreciate being able to connect with you. And uh, you know, please follow Kane on Locked On Bucks. And on what's your Twitter handle, Kane? Uh, it's just Kane Pittman. That Kane Pittman, yeah. So you know, you can see me talking a lot of a lot of rubbish about the Bucks on there. <laughs> yes, you do, but it's fun. Uh, I like to go back and forth with you. You're a great follow on Twitter and a good guy. <laughs> so, hey, man, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Yeah, anytime, anytime. Thanks for thanks for having me on.